Welcome to another episode of 42 to Doomsday. I'm Rob. And I'm not. And tonight, we're following the herd and discussing Series 8. But we have the upper hand over all those other podcasts, as we'll be using our true blue Aussie accents all the way through. You beauty. everyone to another episode of 42 to doomsday uh, we once again like to thank jr southall from the blue box podcast for uh, guesting on our uh, previous podcast which seems to have been such a long time ago now mark i know i know um we try and keep these roughly every two weeks but sometimes real life intrudes i know i nearly killed myself moving dirt on the weekend and i'm sure you've <laughs> probably still got a paint fume poisoning is that right mark my painting escapades over the weekend my fence is pretty much done uh, but it did take a little bit longer than expected, so we were supposed to record our anniversary night, but instead I was uh, scrubbing paint off my hands instead. You didn't celebrate by chroming by any chance, did you, Mark? No, if you mean by using the Google search engine, no. So happy anniversary to everyone out there. It's 51 years and a day as we record. This time last year I was in the UK recovering from the Excel shenanigans and the excess of, at the XL? It was a bit like that, actually. Phil Morris was basking in the glory that is... Uh, meeting me. Well, exactly. I mean, after meeting you, he's gone to ground. Isn't that right, Mark? Obviously, my intense questioning about the Omni rumour uh, has led him to uh, leave to other countries. He's, uh, he's currently in a cave in a, uh, just beneath a Buddhist monastery somewhere in the Himalayas. Just, uh, you know, getting away from it all, basically, isn't he? Is he looking for a bonnable snowman, is he? Well, that, my comment did lead to that, didn't it? So, yes, he must be. Oh, yes. So, we've actually, and also, of course, the uh, Series 8 has uh, exploded onto our screens like a Catherine wheel and, uh, and swiftly departed. There's plenty to talk about uh, in the world of Doctor Who. Yes. Before we launch into our thoughts on Series 8, the news came in a couple of days ago that Peter Capaldi has signed on For Series 9, Rob, are you just as happy as I am? Yes. I mean, we were all very excited when uh, Capaldi was was cast. Is it now 18 months ago? About a year? Yeah. Yeah, about a year. Yeah, no, Mm. they had him on for the... Yeah. So, yes, I mean, I don't really get excited about these sort of things anymore, I suppose. Uh, It's great to know that he's, you know, committed to the show and wants to come back. I mean, after all, I don't think uh, someone like him who's waited this long... For his dream job. His dream job, effectively. Yeah. I mean, he attempted to launch a coup d'etat in the 70s like everyone else seemed to be doing in the <laughs> 70s to run the Doctor Who Club. Uh, but now he's actually, you know, risen above that and has claimed top position as the uh, as the lead actor. Hmm. So it's no surprise that he said, you know, yes. And, the, and given the ratings and given the, um, the continued good ratings and, and the acclaim for his performance, uh, it wouldn't make sense for him to have walked away unless there was something drastically wrong in the background. And it all appears to be happy families in uh, in Cardiff. So um, yes, I suppose that's that's uh, that's good news for not only you know uh, Capaldi and uh, and the production team because I imagine the massive upheaval if he had walked away, but it's also good news for the fans who appear to have embraced him uh, a great deal. Yes, I always get worried about the end of series and finales and the Doctor's first uh, 
a first series because after what happened with Mr. Eccleston. So it wasn't a done deal until, in my eyes until I saw the end credits of Death in Heaven, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yes, mm. I'm sure we'll get to, yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, uh, Capaldi's back next year. Uh, well, actually, he's back at Christmas, of course. Uh, unless there's a surprise regeneration that you know we'll oh, all hate say that. <laughs> did you see the uh, trailer or the teaser trailer for the Christmas episode? I did see the teaser trailer. There was some mock outrage that Stephen Moffat has killed the Santa Clausian hopes and dreams of a generation of children by outing Santa as being a fake. Oh, what's he going to do about the Easter Bunny? Uh, run it over, I suppose. Give it a dose of mixomatosis. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> oh, Missy Matosis. Ah, oh, <laughs> yes. Sorry. No, don't say sorry. That's gold. That's gold. Thank you. Does everybody know what mixomatosis is? Uh, an attempt by Australian scientists in 19, the 1950s to eradicate the rabbit plague that was enveloping our wide brown land, uh, which failed because, as we know, those rabbits are resilient bastards. They are. They are. Do you have any thoughts about Capaldi coming uh, back, Mark? The one constant thing about Series 8 this year was Capaldi. I'm delighted he's back. I just love his Victor Meldrew in space interpretation. His angry old man. I'm turning into him slowly. And the things that annoy him are starting to annoy me. So, yeah, look, he's been a definite highlight for me. Isn't it interesting that um, people embrace the sort of sweetness of the Matt Smith Doctor, uh, but then they're more or less happy to embrace the angry ant version via Capaldi because I mean I suppose people live their lives in a sort of suppression field where they don't really express how they feel all the time about every single topic yeah I mean to get to to get along we all go along I suppose but the 12th or is it the 13th doctor oh, don't start this <laughs> um doesn't care there is no filter it as soon as the thought is is in the head it's it's, it's expressed via the mouth and yeah. I, I suppose we all appreciate that because you know we'd love to tell the person in the next on the next desk exactly what we think of them and their uh, and their habits but uh, we, we don't because you know you have to get on in harmony with everyone else um and but with the 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 12th slash 13th doctor we can uh, we can live vicariously through that cutting tongue yeah he's wonderful Actually, speaking of 12th and 13th Doctors, I saw uh, on our Facebook feed somebody had put up uh, a montage of all the Doctors for the 51st anniversary. Mm-hmm. And next to Paul McGann, it had a picture of John Hurt. And it had, obviously, 2013, and then it was Eccleston and so on. Even a year after, I still can't get my head around it. The younger people who've come on board with the new series happily embrace that because it's it hasn't been... It's not part of their DNA that no. you know, the doctors run in sequence and, and, and no one has sort of been inserted halfway along. Mm. Uh, but for, for, for fans of the classic series who, who have lived with the, with the idea for years that, you know, it's the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, mm. and then to Eccleston, uh, to, to see something, uh, you know, the, the, the war doctor inserted in there, it, uh, it's unsettling a little bit. And, and apart from it being a completely crap idea made in a, in a, in a mad panic when Eccleston, uh, you know, uh, thumbed his nose uh, and stalked off. Yes. Did I say crap idea? I'm sure there'll be people stamping their feet. Sorry about that, everyone out there. But anyway, we digress. Uh, again. Both from Rob and I, thumbs up for Compaldi's continued existence on the program for a good while longer yet. Just on that point, Mark, we might as well bring up... Remember when uh, he was cast and we were all very excited and we were saying, oh, you know, uh, it looks like they might be going for a sort of a Pertwee-esque uh, approach and uh, 
and that we sort of saw that in the in the costume uh, that was chosen. Mm. Uh, but do, do you think um, that our thoughts on that have been vindicated? I know we certainly thought that um, there was not going to be any hanky panky in the TARDIS between the Doctor and Clara, and they'd have to introduce another male lead. So I, I claim victory on that particular idea. <laughs> But um, do you think that uh, there's any Pertwee-esque signs within uh, Capaldi's performance, or is it something else entirely? Look, there's been there's been little nods to the past, you know, him doing Hey in Robot of Tara, but for the most part, he's his own man, and also a little bit of Tom Baker in there as well, the more alienness. But you know, he's made I think he's made the part his own, and I think what you said was Victor Meldrew in space pretty much fits it. So that would fit the idea that um, the, the, the sort of the, the, the meme that's run around a little bit is that uh, the twelfth Doctor is the sixth Doctor done right. Yeah, absolutely, with a decent costume, and for the most part, better scripts. What's with the t-shirts that Capaldi wears? Are they got holes in them? No, I think that's meant to be a Starfield. Remember in um, <laughs> in, in Listen, the Starfield in is it the boys' eyes matches the Starfield on Capaldi's shirt. I thought he had the, the, the T-shirt was symbolising the season 18, 23 title sequence, maybe. Well, the Starfield. Yeah. Maybe because the Doctor doesn't really care about clothes, it's, it's a moth-eaten rag. It just looked like it had the holes in it. I thought it was a new style. I, th- I thought a T-shirt under a jacket was a, a bold choice, fashion-wise. But was done uh, in the late 80s by David Banks <laughs> when he took over from John Pertwee in the Ultimate Adventure play. Didn't they just yank him out of the audience? <laughs> no. That was his just usual streetwear. Yes, it? his usual streetwear. He had a Greenpeace t-shirt on and uh, a, a, a very large fitting suit. Well, that was a sort of Miami Vice thing, wasn't it? Primary colours on large suits. Yeah, David Banks does Don Johnson. What? Uh, whatever happened to David Banks? Whatever happened to Don Johnson? He was in Django Unchained. Was he? I think so. Was he, was he one of the uh, plantation owners? I think he was. You could imagine him as being a seedy white plantation owner, owner lording it over his slaves, can't you, Don, Don, Don Johnson? I think so, but... God, uh, he's got a name that you can't pronounce properly, honestly. Don Johnson. Especially at nine o'clock at night. But uh, David Banks, I don't know, I think he's doing a convention somewhere recently. Aren't they all doing a convention somewhere? Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I, w- I would recommend uh, the uh, David Banks' Cyberman book large coffee table size book uh, if you can get your hands on it I'm surprised no one's reprinted it actually also David Banks did the audio readings of those books as well I used to listen to them quite uh, a lot trying to go to sleep at night something hive um, recordings what was that leisure hive cyber hive uh, archive archive that's right yes which leads us into the uh, latest international omni rumor public alert system shenanigans Rob well, thank you, Mark, for, uh, for for segueing that way. I've learnt from the best. As we introduced a number of episodes ago, we, we have patented our, our own international <laughs> Omni-Rumor alert uh, system where we express our opinion on the current status of the Omni-Rumor by a series of absurd uh, commentary <laughs> and sounds. Now, in the last couple of weeks, there has been much turmoil. This is for the, the uh, uh, you know, three million people who don't frequent the forums... Uh, and also to the hardcore 40 people who comment on the Omni Rumor consistently day in, day out. Hello to you all. If you're listening. if And I'm sure they will be. And one of them is actually hosting this podcast. <laughs> uh, there was uh, turmoil in the in the Omni Rumor uh, a couple of weeks ago when an email surfaced on uh, courtesy of one of the moderators on Outpost Scarrow. Lord forbid, an email. And uh, this email purported to be uh, the truth. Uh, about what exactly was going on in the background of the Omni Rumor, why episodes 
that uh, Phil Morris apparently had unearthed had never uh, had hadn't you know been released into the wild, and to uh, basically the it basically said that Phil had discovered where they were, but had not been able to retrieve them from uh, said place, which was meant to be somewhere in Africa. Now this caused uh, a great deal of consternation and gnashing of teeth because. A number of the more prominent people who had been pushing the Omni Rumor over the last year or so, uh, Mark R and Scott F, and everyone knows who they are who, if you've been following it, uh, turned uh, did a 180 in their belief. They, they had said that these episodes, majority of these episodes were back in, in Britain, were being or had been worked on, and some were ready to go. And they suddenly turned around and embraced the whole idea that no, they hadn't been returned, and no, they hadn't been all worked on, but instead we're indeed back in Africa. And this caused an absolute uproar on the forums, a couple of forums in particular. And uh, as a result, the Omni Rumor um, machinations uh, conversation, discussion, argument has really died away because a lot of people suddenly decided, based on you know the, the, swift, con- the swift, really unexplained conversion of these two gentlemen, from believing one thing to believing something else entirely on the basis of uh, an email that if you scratched it with your fingernail was revealed to be more or less a load of crap uh, because none of it really made any sense uh, in terms of its factual basis. So uh, that's where we are with the Omni Rumor. And as a result, on the Omni Rumor alert system, we've added an actual, an actual extra level. So now we've got <laughs> from an initial uh, set of four ratings, uh, JR... Southall, last podcast, introduced a new one called Sublo. And based on the uh, shenanigans that have happened over the last couple of weeks, we are now introducing another rating, which is Rob... Cuckoo! Which basically means, seriously, that last email that was sent around was taking the piss. (laughs) So let me get this straight, right? So this email that came out said, Phil has found them, but he actually hasn't got them in his hands. Mm-hmm. But the information before that was Phil has got them in his hands in a lockup somewhere. And now that this email that came out last week was saying the opposite of what was led to believe for the last 18 months. I'm confused already. I mean, the original version of the Omni rumor, as it's been propounded since or well before the returns in 2013 and afterwards, was that Phil had found upwards of 90 episodes and that he brought them all back to the UK. There was talk about 64,000 film cans and tapes being returned to the UK and that there was a second restoration team uh, or the equivalent of that had been uh, contracted to do the work of, I suppose, sifting and restoration. Um, but this this uh, this email, which apparently was a, uh, but a small part of a much longer email chain between uh, the person who released it and, and whoever... Uh, gave it, you know, was conversing with them, uh, basically turned that up on its head. Uh, and, um, you know, the, I mean, there was already a lot of negativity towards uh, the two gentlemen in question because they were largely right about the return of Enemy and Webb, but they had been pushing, f- you know, th- that was going to be an announcement uh, a number of times during the course of this year. They've been pushing uh, announcements like, you know, that DVD covers had been cited. Uh, that you know there was a second restoration team. The second restoration team. Can we call mm. it RT Two D? You can. I won't attempt to repeat what you've just said, but uh, we just mashed up Star Wars and Doctor Who. We did. That sounds like a podcast. That does sound like a podcast, Mark. Who, who was? was? Hello, Rob. If you're Hello, listening, Rob from Who Was? 
Yeah, so that's where the Omni rumor is at the moment. It's a smoking ruin at the bottom of a crater that's had a large asteroid land on top of it. Or it was the moon <laughs> that hatched and flew away. That hatched, <laughs> ate it, shat it out, <laughs> and flew away. Are you ready to call time on the Omni? Uh, I mean, I suppose it's... Yeah, I'm, I'm just about ready to call time, I think. Hmm. I think. I mean, you still hear talk about there's something still going on in the background that, you know, Phil will release all when he's capable of releasing all. But really, you know, I'm just about ready to call time on it. But that's not to say that, you know, episodes won't dribble back over the next, you know, few decades. But the idea of a massive dump of episodes coming back just doesn't match up with what we know about the sales of stories around the world. You know, no more than two or three or four copies of Power of the Daleks. You know, suddenly episodes of Daleks Master Plan have turned up in Ireland of all places when we know for a stone, stone cold fact that it only ever... Was, sh- uh, was sent to Australia. I mean, that- and soundless. I mean, what the hell? That sounds like the eight millimeter copy sh- taken off a TV well, screen, aren't they? And that's and that's why that the, the email was randomly denounced because some of the the uh, its assertions, like you know, uh, episodes were found with no sound. Well, how can that be a problem? Bringing you know, bringing it to market because, as we know, every single episode uh, that exists as an audio from the black and white era. That's right. Uh, so there's nothing technically missing in terms of sound. So that could be very easily married up in about an afternoon. Mm. So, you know, um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I suppose, disappointment, a lot of uh, gently simmering anger. Uh, the two gentlemen in question have retreated to a couple of other forums, uh, Gallifrey Brace for being one, um, and another one, I think Moonbase uh, one, which is a new one. So uh, if you wanted to follow them, Joe's gentlemen there, uh, go, go sign up for those uh, forums because they'll give you chapter and verse on why they still believe the Omni Rumor lives. I think the Omni Rumor is just about ready to die. It's no wonder there are so many books being written about this thing at the moment, is it? Apparently there are three or four. I've been contacted by one of the writers who's doing some research mm. in the hope that I knew uh, a particular contact here in Australia. I wasn't able to furnish any details, but I, I struggle to work out how you could uh, generate a book out of out of what's happened. I mean, I'm sure Richard Molesworth, if and when he gets around to doing a third edition of Wiped, would be quite happy to devote a chapter, but I don't see how you could turn it into a 70,000-word book. doesn't make any sense. But it'd be a wonderful thesis on how on Chinese whispers, wouldn't it, really? Or, or in these politically correct times, uh, telephone. I think it's telephone they call it now in America, not Chinese whispers. Oh, really? Apparently. They, the, the Chinese whispers is no longer kosher. Okay, let's repeat that then. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Our American cousins will understand where we're coming from, so that, that's fine. My feelings on the Omni at the moment, uh, I like to paraphrase John Lennon, I don't believe in the Omni, I just believe in me. And on, the, and on that downbeat note, let's move on to our next topic. Episode 25 of our podcast, we discussed the first half of Series 8. So now we turn our attention to the remaining stories of this particular season. However, we will give you our thoughts first uh, on Mummy on the Orient Express, Flatline in a Forest of the Night. But we will leave the last two because we've received quite a lot of correspondence from our readers. Readers. What am I talking about? Our listeners uh, about those two stories in particular. I think we can just, you know, loosen our belts slightly and uh, actually do a little bit of a review if we want. Oh, no. Well, everyone else is doing it. Remember, we are following the herd tonight. We so. are following the herd. Yes, exactly. No. Right. No. And um, hello, everyone out there who reviews Doctor Who. God bless you. Um, <laughs> so, Mark, what did you think of Mummy on the Orient Express? Was it a cute title in search of a story or was it actually a decent story? It was very enjoyable. 
I had some really uh, good moments of horror for me. Anything that didn't sort of sit well with me was um, the whole thing about Gus and the reasons behind the experiment. Go on. What's Gus about? Who's Gus? <laughs> Who's who, Gus? Who is, who's Gus? Is it the uh, engineer? No, Gus was um, the computer. Gus ah. was the computer uh, who was behind the experiments, but we didn't find out who Gus was. I thought it would have been resolved, but I don't think it has been. Oh, yeah. Gus isn't Missy by any chance. Oh, no. That's a strange one, isn't it? Because Gus is a bloke. That's interesting because, I mean, if that hasn't been resolved, which you're right, it hasn't, um, that's strange because Moffat likes to tie everything together. Hmm. I mean, we know he didn't write the episode as such, but I mean, he probably had a heavy input into it, and um, that's a bit of a dangling thread that he may pull on in, you know, five years' time. Which yeah. means he'll be here for another five years as uh, showrunner. Look, Mummy had some great, uh, as I said, horror moments for me. Um, you know, especially when it was walking through the Doctor to its next victim. Mm. I just watched a couple of weeks ago on your recommendation, Horror Fang Rock. Mm. You know, the single alien, the single threat, swapping out characters left, right, and centre, and it sort of had that same sort of feel for me. Yes, I'm just going to say, isn't it interesting that the better stories in this season, or the, the ones that I regard better, have that tinge of horror a lot of horror stories rely on atmosphere yeah uh, and 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 tension i mean mm. obviously because the people are put in extreme situations and i think that really that suits the format of the show very well mm. um so i mean you get stories like mummy on, a, on the iron express or flatline uh listen of course I, I think they're some of the better stories in the season and they've all got that sort of horrific or eerie or weird element running right through them Mm. and i think that that is when you know doctor who works really well i don't think it works as pure space opera or um rom-com or rom-com or Mm. anything like that but i think you you get i mean right from the very start of the show it there was that element of the weird running through the everyday so i mean you have the, the proverbial police box in a junkyard that hums quietly to itself which you know is is a strange juxtaposition, isn't it? Really, and and that and that has sort of fed right through the the series uh, from day one up and up, up until now. And I, I often think that the show is at its best when it's creeping its audience out. Mm. And I th- I thought that Mummy on the Orient Express of all the stories in season eight or series eight was I think the most complete story. I think it had a really fully formed and realised plot from A to B to C, and it had a really good cast. I mean, all the speaking roles were were cast very well and acted very well. Mm, absolutely, uh, and uh, and there was enough. I mean, there was an A plot and a B plot, and that fully rounded and complemented each other. So, I mean, I, I think even though I really, really enjoyed Listen, just purely as a viewing experience, I think Mummy on the Orient Express is is probably the best story in the in the in the series for me. I mean, Capaldi. Uh, somehow manages the impossible. I mean, he, you, you, I'm sure you heard him when he mimicked uh, Tom Baker uh, oh, in yeah. that scene where he's talking to himself, and that sort mm. of sent a little buzz through me. But um, yeah, I, I think that Capaldi really nailed it in that in 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 uh, in that episode, uh, playing the sort of ever increasingly desperate to get the situation resolved. But also, I mean, there was that callous side as well, where he's prepared to, you know, allow many more people to die to bring him closer to the uh, the answer to the truth yeah exactly hmm. um which uh, again is that sixth doctor uh, thing done right where um colin baker expressed it you know early on where his he hoped that his alien doctor would be able to you know walk over a pile of corpses 
without flinching a, a, an eyelid. Not in that bloody costume. <laughs> and uh, and then but but weep over the death of a butterfly. Yeah. Where, and, and I suppose uh, the Capaldi Doctor exhibits that as well. That he's you know unceasingly ruthless in his in his endeavours to defeat the uh, the enemy as he sees it. Did you find the reintroduction of Clara to the story? And the fact that, well, weren't seen to resolve the differences from Kill the Moon jarring at all? I, I actually welcome that because I think what the, the, the new series unfortunately does is wallow in emotion too much. Mm. Um, so we could have had two episodes or an episode of them, you know, working through their issues. Angsting it out. And, you know, mm. I, I can see the show doing that at some stage because it, it, it feels the need to, to do that. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually glad. And it, it, it did... It did offer, it put you off kilter a little bit, which mm. really suited the story. Because not only is you come you come into it and you're expecting some sort of resolution to the previous week's uh, emotional fireworks or denunciations, and then suddenly that's not happening because Clara and the Doctor have got this fragile reconciliation going on, mm. and then you see the old lady being stalked by you know death effectively. And they sort of complement each other a little bit. Mm. Um, just on that point, I've been thinking all week why it is that sometimes new, the new series leaves me cold and, and, and doesn't engage me as such. And I think it is for me that the show is fundamentally an escape adventure, an escapist adventure series. And that when you try and introduce deeper characterization to it and deeper emotional resonance to it, it's like trying to bang a square peg into a round hole. Doctor Who... Uh, as I understand it anyway, isn't built that way. Hmm. I mean, if you're trying to do that, you just you, you might as well go and make another series entirely where yeah. you, you have characters you know, who are expressing their emotions and, and are working through issues and all that sort of thing. That, for me, isn't really Doctor Who. I mean, we've touched on it before. You can have, in an episode, say, like uh, a story like The Horror of Fang Rock, you can have you know, good, well-rounded characters who aren't involved in deep, you know, unflinching emotional issues getting in the way of a good story. And I think too many times uh, during the new series, and sometimes in Series A's, mm. you, you get that interfering with my enjoyment of, of, of the stories themselves. Yeah. But in this instance here, I think that sk- skipping over that uh, those issues at the beginning of the episode worked to the episode's advantage and allowed everyone to get into the story. And yes, everyone had their chance to have a character moment, but you know they weren't they weren't uh, tearing themselves apart over emotional issues from you know from previous uh, previous a previous story, which I really I really welcome that. Yeah, it doesn't need to be neighbours in space, does it? No, I mean it's the soapification of television, uh, and you, you can see that through you know lots and lots of TV shows at the moment, and that's great because that 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 works for them. Hmm. But because they they you know emerge fully formed from that point onwards, and uh, and they have that emotional resonance. Doctor Who has a 51-year history of being an adventure show set in space where the main characters travel through time and have fun times and adventures. Hmm. I just, as I'm you know, repeating myself, but I don't think that the show is capable of working with what it is forced to depict these days. And it, it just uh, it rankles with me even now. But maybe it rankles with you and, and me to a point as well because we're so tied to the classic series. And the new series has engaged a lot of new viewers who enjoy it for that as well. Well, one of our letters that we'll be reading later on makes something of uh, makes much the same point, hmm. um, where the show is a little bit torn between its past 
and its current you know uh, current audience mm. and i think sometimes it falls into a hole between the two and doesn't satisfy doesn't necessarily satisfy classic series fans and i mean the usual response to that is well don't watch the show but that's you know that's a cop out a show that sort of you know demands inclusiveness and all that sort of thing for fans to say that to other fans is uh is uh, unfortunate and downright rude so I think we've talked Mummy on the Orion Express to death in more than 66 uh, seconds yeah that's one I will go back and rewatch happily when the Blu-ray set arrives on my doorstep yes um, and the, the follow up to the episode I believe was written by the same writer is that right Flatline was the next story I believe so I think that writer whose name unfortunately escapes me was Jamie Matheson find. was it Matheson Jamie Matheson who wrote who wrote Kill the Moon God uh, uh, well, recite classic series authors like uh, like anything, but I can't recite half of the guys who write series eight. Who wrote Kill the Moon? I don't know. We'll look on. I'll, I'll, while you're talking, I'll look on my phone. <laughs> so the follow up to that episode was the Doctor Light episode, which, thanks to some judicious editing, um, wasn't really a Doctor Light episode at all, was it, Mark? No. Look, I'll, I'll start off with the negatives first. The companion should never be the Doctor, just straight up. And Clara, who looms larger and larger within the mythos of the Doctor Who series is now given another feather in her cap. I mean, not only does she push the Doctor towards a TARDIS, but is now the hero who has basically uh, won all the adventures for the Doctor by intervening. But Mm. she's now basically becomes a um, de facto Doctor, really. Um, The show's called Doctor Who. It's not called Clara Oswald. And I think that Moffat needs to dial it back because you can clearly see his hand... Well, clearly his hand is is in pushing Clara to the fore. Um, the, a, lot of, a number of complaints I've heard about the current series is that Capaldi, or the, the Doctor as such, didn't really play as great a role front and square mm. as, he, as he should have. And I know, for this episode, all right, it's the Doctor Light episode, blah, blah, blah. But again, it sets my teeth on edge a little that Clara is afforded this status amongst all the companions, that she's the best, she's number one, she can stand in for the Doctor. That said, I think Flatline is, a, is another absolute ripper of a story. And uh, the, uh, I think that, I mean, the depiction of the, uh, the, the 2D monsters was particularly effective and, and winning. It was brilliant, wasn't it? It, it was really good. And again, mm. it's, it's one of those stories that is eerie, that is spooky. That is, you know, that that uh, you know sets you running behind the uh, the sofa in a, in a sense. The aliens were nasty. I, I'm not quite sure. I like the Doctor's mission statement. You know, if there are, mon- you know, basically the monsters are here. It's <laughs> I'll I'll pull my shirt open, <laughs> Superman style. Yeah, with holes that, in my t-shirt again. The, the, the moths ate my t-shirt. Yeah, I've talked too much. What did you think of Flatline? Mark? I thought it was a great concept. The tone of it reminded me of the TV show Misfits. Oh, yeah, Misfits is fantastic. Especially the first couple of years, it's absolutely un- un- unmissable. The last series I did was actually very good too. It was sort of a return to form, but just the tone of that of the of Flatline reminded me of that show. But um, it ticked all the boxes for me. Great comedy moments amidst the the drama and the horror. Uh, the concept was great as well. But um, yeah, I thought the the characterization of the aliens, where they were just really nasty, evil. Uh, you know how they bleed in through dimensions. It was quite an original, uh, original concept. I haven't sort of seen it before anywhere. There is. It's coming to me. It's going away. I remember reading a, a horror. Yes, there's a Stephen King short story called The Raft, where um, uh, 
the characters are on a raft and there's some sort of monster lurking beneath the raft and it's sucking them through the the uh, the, the pontoons the, the wood across the pontoons mm. and uh what happens to the police officer is very similar to what happens to one of the characters in uh, this uh, long short story, The Raft. So I mean, it's not a new concept uh, as such. Yeah, it's it's pretty. It's uh, it's a brave move, I think, for the series because they've had that darker tone throughout and they've pushed it back later in the schedule. So that's probably given them a bit of um, leeway in depicting some sort of slightly nastier things. But to see the police officer uh, absorbed, I suppose, in in that way was. Um, it was a, it was a bit of a a little bit of a shock actually in a much more convincing way than the uh, Zorbalov. <laughs> Honestly, it's like a doctor in distress. Just when I thought of escape the memory of it, Mark, you drag me back in. The doctor in distress free zone this episode. Yeah, so uh, again, two thumbs up. I think for for Flatline, I think it was um, a good little bottle episode, mm. um, and uh, it, it also shows that. When they the cast the people who do the casting they they really do I don't think they've actually made a a false step no all series long uh, so uh, and you saw a, again the, the misfits tone I mean you had a group of uh, sort of lower middle class people on you know um, asbo uh, asbo uh, workers uh, workers do, doing sort of community service mm. uh, and then sort of thrust into a really you know sort of dangerous and 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 uh, and very odd world. Uh, so there's that, and, and of course the locations are really good, and and they they were very smart in the way they seeded Capaldi's appearances through the um, through the episode. I mean, it, technically it's a Doctor Light episode, but the, they were quite clever in the way they, they they showed all that. The direction across the whole series has been uh, top notch, especially in the Forest of the Night. I thought the direction of that was superb. Well, now that you've mentioned it, Mark, what did what did you think of in the Forest of the Night? Ah. <sighs> Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the shallows of the night. <laughs> William Blake, people. William Blake. Just goes to show that I know a little bit of culture. Yes. Only a little bit, though. In the forest of the night. Well, I'm probably in a minority here, but I actually thought it was okay. There was a great concept. That was a brilliant concept. Uh, you know, it's a fairy tale, isn't it, really? Um, Magical realism, I think some, some people would call it. But it's just the whole... The science is crap, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, the science in Doctor Who is legendarily crap, isn't it? I don't know. It, it, we can we can accept time travel, but we can't accept trees growing planet wide overnight. I can accept that to a point, but the resolution like it just didn't. Would it, wouldn't that actually cure uh, global warming in in uh, in overnight effectively? Because you absorb right. all that carbon out of the atmosphere, so it's the anti greenhouse effect. So we'd actually start freezing because we wouldn't be able to retain the heat from the sun. Yeah. So where's the massive um, glaciers and ice age? I mean, that's no more stupid than the idea of trees growing overnight, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's hard to get away from the idea that the science is rubbish. But if you can put that aside, if you can put that aside, what do you think of the actual story and, and the sort of the themes going I through? I thought it was a brave and in- interesting concept. I don't think it wholly paid off, but I'm glad they attempted this style of storytelling. I just think the resolution for me just didn't work. No, isn't it the sort of magic love conquers all sort of resolution yeah. or something like that? Which, uh, I mean, come on, they, they should, they've got a box more clever than that, surely. I mean, after eight or nine years, mm-hmm. surely they, they can come up with a better resolution to a 45-minute episode than love conquers all. Clara's telling people, you know, the, telling the humans to love the trees, but they do chop a lot of them down, don't they? Uh, frequently. Well, there goes another one now.
Love the trees. Smash. What did you think of um, the tiger? <laughs> tiger, t- no. Well, we're thinking about we can think about the tiger. But what did you think about the kids? And what did you think about having uh, sort of Danny in his sort of a sort of full fledged adventure? Doctor Who's had a bit of a checkered past with kids and and uh, and acting portrayals. A little uh, bit. The ones in Nightmare and Silver were just annoying. Everyone's uh, got to start somewhere in their acting career. I, I know they do, but usually they probably will end up doing B movies somewhere. Pantos. Pantos at Christmas Brighton. time. Yeah, exactly. But um, I thought the kids were actually they were well acted. They weren't annoying. They were. Um, they were was, kids. You were kids. Was one of them? I heard was it on Diddly Dumb podcast where they're saying that one of the girls was the voice of Peppa Pig. Is that right? Yes, I think the the girl with the red hair was the voice of Peppa Pig, the slightly older girl who who wasn't running around waving at imaginary uh, bees. Um, that, that's interesting. My kids like Peppa Pig. Yeah, uh, so a few my, years most ago. the kids like like it as well. The the the, the, the right wing uh, columnists here in Australia don't like Peppa Pig for some reason. I think it's teaching communism to the children. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure it is. If they say it is, I'm sure it is. But uh, the, the kids were great. That was at least my problems with the episode. Just the resolution and, and the fact that the whole planet, the whole of humankind, forgets again overnight by magic that this thing's happened because yes. it, I mean I, I think it was a brave move to go with with that sort of story to, uh, not brave move in the cynical sense of the no. vice minister it's something uh, different wasn't it? it it was and there was a certain there was a certain magic touch to it I suppose um, it, probably a brave failure in my book mm. I mean you, I suppose you've got to stretch your storytelling wings occasionally I, I, like you I thought the kids did pretty good uh, you know, amusing in part and all that sort of thing, and you know, I suppose kids are kids the world around, and the writer managed to depict them in a sort of a realistic way. I suppose mm. uh, it's news to me that children can camp out at major museums uh, on a field trip. Apparently, um, they can. Apparently, they can. I, I think they do it in the UK and North America as well. I, I've not heard of it being done mm. here in Australia, but I'm sure you know, inspired by that, they'll have kids camping out in their own state library or the National Museum down here. So, the story tapped into that fear of deep dark forests didn't it well i mean it's that primal thing about yeah. you know, humans being hunted in uh, you know primitive humans being hunted uh, in the forest or the jungles uh, of the night by you know by monsters and all that sort of thing mm. it was a curiously empty uh, london uh, london is one of the great thriving metropolises and i'm surprised that you know more people weren't out having selfies with trees um <laughs> that's just a bit strange I, I thought there was one person on a bike basically um, yeah. yeah miss hawthorne yeah <laughs> She's still alive, apparently. Um, yes. Uh, what did you think of um, uh, Danny Pink? I haven't got much of an opinion of Danny Pink. Mm. He's well portrayed. Um, he's taking control of the situation to a point which sort of leads back into his whole soldier uh, background and story arc as well. But um, do you know what? It's funny. When I look back on quite a lot of the Danny Pink stories, he doesn't stick out for me in the same way Rory did. Well, I mean, you look, you look at a character like Rory who's very unsure of himself. He's unsure of mm. his relationship with uh, with uh, Amy. He's unsure of himself in his relationship with the Doctor and his place mm. in the TARDIS. Mm. And that gives, I suppose, uh, a bit more to the character. You can, you can feel a bit more sympathy for him because we've all felt unsure about important things in our life. But you look at Danny Pink and he's, he's, he's a... As depicted, he's a well-rounded individual. You know, he's an adult. He's done adult things. He's served in the military. He's now a teacher. He's got, you know, uh, he carries a grief with him. Um, so I suppose in that sense, he's very grounded. Hmm. And there's not, other than his relationship with Clara and, you know, the, the sort of she's hiding an aspect of her life from him and lying to him. 
other than that, he's not a particularly interesting fellow. No. I mean, you could see his, you know, the problem that he faced or the guilt that he faced, you could see a mile off because, I mean, he's a soldier, he served, and he's, he's, he's very sad, and he's working with kids while everyone else do the math. We all know that he accidentally shot a child um, d- during his service. So, I mean, there's that. But um, And the decision to keep him completely earthbound um, yeah. means that he you, you don't see him in an odd situation you don't see, well other than the caretaker I suppose you don't see him um, have to react against you know the strangeness of the universe so mm. he's a bit not bland but a bit, he's a bit dull dull boring uh, doesn't get the blood pumping like no. or doesn't get your interest peaked like like Rory would I suppose but like Rory he died well yes but Rory came back how many times did Rory come back? Once? And so did Danny. We'll, we'll get onto that. We'll get onto that. Should we delay the inevitable? No, let's <laughs> let's look. Let's jump into the fiery furnace uh, wholeheartedly, uh, Mark. Before we do that, should we read a couple of letters about it first? Or yeah, you... look, let's let's well, we read out some tweets. Let's <laughs> okay. let's just uh, lead everyone gently into the night because tweets are designed to be quick. Uh, I'll lead off. Uh, the fellow or fellows from uh, Crinoid Podcast tweeted us uh, best new Who series yet. Though let down by the finale. Capaldi, brilliant. Great chemistry with Jenna. Very enjoyable series. Uh, I would agree with that. David Kitchen writes, uh, Listen, a clear highlight. Deaf in heaven, as bad as Hoogs gets. Now, I uh, messaged uh, Dave and said to him, Did uh, Deaf in heaven displace Twin Dilemma from the bottom of the, the pile? Do you think that? That is a very big call to make. <laughs> Let's let's move on. Let's move on before uh, now. You have to come back to that though. We'll have to come back. All right, we'll come back to that. So, ham-fisted bun vendor says, "I've invested time in series eight, but then sadly, after forty plus years, I'm done with the show until Moffat is gone." Ambivalent to Capaldi as he hasn't had the scripts to shine, and Clara is just too bland for my liking. Now there has been a movement recent in recent times that Moffat must go. It was funny. We we're all clamouring for Moffat to take over after RTD. <laughs> Uh, and now we're now clamouring for Moffat to be shown the exit. Let's be honest, Rob. No Doctor Who fan's been happy with the producers since 1977. Well, more or less, that's correct. Yes. Um, we, I, I did express an opinion. I think we both expressed an opinion that we hoped that um, with the different portrayal that Capaldi was going to bring, the scripts would shift to match. And I think that was the case early on in the series. But the more that Series 8 went on for me, the more it seemed like the scripts were actually being written for, say, Matt Smith. Hmm. Uh, in a sense, and Capaldi was giving his twist to that. So um, that's, you know, I'm not quite sure whether that's... No, that feels right to me, so I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, Bernard JKD says, Alas, Moffat made an emotional, confusing stew. Could have been great, but too many self-inflicted failed elements in the mix. The credibility of the story concept in Death in Heaven makes Sylvan Nemesis look like a work of a genius by comparison. Chap with rocket boots, five rounds rapid. Yes. Yes. Some consternation uh, expressed there, particularly about the return of the Brigadier. Or as I call him, the Iron Patriot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, We might touch on that. I think we need to touch on that a bit later. Uh, Kyle Sessions. Personally, as much as I love Dark Water, I'm a bit disappointed by Death in Heaven. It was one of those that was perfectly fine and entertaining as I watched it. But afterwards, the more I thought about it, the more problems I realised. But I do want to say that my problems were all with the plot and the story and not the acting. The actors were all superb. Everyone was at the top of their game. I, I don't think we've actually had as much 
uh, correspondence about a season finale. I've been only been going for a year anyway. Mm. Our mailbag has been bulging with people's comments about uh, Series A, in particular the last two episodes. I mean, it, it's hard to say because it rated very well the last two episodes and the audience appreciation index was very good. So the general population out there mm. loved both stories. So, you know, uh, in, in that sense, it, it worked. Uh, I think online fandom was a bit more split, was much more split in actual fact. That's the impression I got anyway, but maybe I'm following the wrong people on Twitter. I don't... It was very split. It was it was half towards you know downright hatred to another half of uh, evangelical praising. Yes, Stephen Moffat is not the Messiah, but sometimes he's a very naughty boy. He's certainly a galvanising figure in 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 in, uh, in, in two ways, uh, Stephen. Christoroth uh, tweeted, loving all the varied reactions. From excitement to disappointment to rage over tonight's Doctor Who. I'm sure he's referring to uh, Death, Death in Heaven. Heaven. Got to be some merit in that. Rage at the dying of the light, says Christoroth. But for someone else, for the loss of the beloved one, JLC uh, played it brilliantly. We should address the elephant in the in the room. <laughs> Hello, if you're listening. <laughs> Watch out for the ivory hunters because they're a coming. Yeah. Um, what did you think of... Will we address them in turn each episode, will we? Or, oh, because both episodes have one uh, divisive aspect to each of them, I suppose. So I, th- I suppose it's, it's best that we address them each in turn. What did you think of Dark Water, Mark? No, I'm going to put it to you, Rob. What did oh. you think of Dark Water? Because <laughs> I, I think your reaction is going to be pretty much the same as mine. I think that Stephen Moffat caught RTD-itis <laughs> and thought that it would be fair enough to get every element known to man and throw it against the wall and whatever stuck would be sufficient to be screened to the masses of the world. A bit like the shard of VHS video cover. Well, yes. I expressed this view earlier in the year that they should just ditch the whole idea of having a story arc. Hmm. I mean, we've, we've had effectively two story arcs this year. The one where Clara is coming to terms with her addiction to travelling with the Doctor, concealing that from uh, the Doctor and, uh, and Danny. And for all its stupidity of that particular arc, I actually thought that that was the better of the two. The Missy arc is misconceived from day one. You... <sighs> It, it either forms the basis of the entire series that, you know, it's a, it's a story element in each story going forward and then it culminates at the end of the series with, a, you know, with, with the finale mm. or you don't have it at all because you basically bring an episode to a halt with, with this element, you know, that someone dies, they suddenly go to heaven, there's Missy there, you know, gesticulating and pirouetting around the garden. It looks silly. It, 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 it adds nothing to it. It's, it. There's no mystifying aspect to it other than, in my opinion anyway, irritation that he's going and doing this again. You know, he's going and injecting something into the series that it doesn't really need. Just tell a story. Let's have an adventure, Stephen. And then what you do is you increase anticipation for those people who aren't hopelessly jaded like me and and without wanting to speak for yourself, for you, to the point that when when he comes to the resolution, it's a piece of rubbish. It's a piece... None of the pieces fit. Again, it feels like it's every element in the story bag just plucked out at random, blindfolded in the dead of night and just slapped on the table and we'll rearrange them and we'll put them here. It... it, it, it. Can you sense that I'm slightly frustrated, Mark? Just tell a story and don't insult your viewers by assuming that we want to be excited in this manner. 
We come to Doctor Who for the excitement, not for the controversy, not for the just the, the silly, you know, balls to the wall plotting. It does it's not needed. It's not needed. And then of course the fact that the master has become a woman. Well, what a load of crap. You know? What is the point? I mean, these characters are iconic because, you know, they they've been well loved and well regarded for forty years. And just to be controversial and just to have your name up in lights, for some reason Stephen Moffat decided that he too would travel the world. You know, with with uh, with the Capaldi and Coleman. What the fuck? What was the point of that? Who who is actually in front of the show? Who are the lead actors? Not the bloody showrunner, but Stephen Moffat. For some reason, gets a gig traveling the world, and it's the same thing with presuming that he can undermine and twist and turn and change the established show's history just to suit his own whims. It it's not good enough, Mark. It's not good enough to turn that upside down. What does turning the master into a woman actually add to the show? What does it do? What does it do? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be negative because no, I don't want no. people to have the impression that I hate the new series. And I don't hate this new series. I mean, if I hated it, I wouldn't be bloody watching it. Or podcasting about it. Or podcasting about yeah. it. I wouldn't have wasted the last three minutes shouting at a microphone in my study. <laughs> but I mean, it just... I do understand your frustration Especially around the master. And people are going to call me a misogynist. There are people no. out there who have the who presumed who would presume to call me a misogynist. Well, you know, I'm married to a woman with two daughters, and I have a sister and a mother, so I don't hate them, and I don't hate women, but I dislike intensely the decision of the showrunner to turn the series upside down in this manner. It's not the end of the world because it's a TV show, but. I thought it was the wrong thing to do, and it's no slide on uh, the actress who played the role, Michelle Gomez. No, Michelle, yeah. it's 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 the wrong thing to do, and uh, I I deeply regret that Moffat made that decision. But what was the reason for changing the master into because a woman he anyway? could? But there's no explanation for it. Exactly because he could changing the gender for no. I just yeah, I'm a bit flummoxed by it. I mean, to be honest, he would have been better to create a brand new renegade female time lord. Oh yes, I was lost in the time war. I found my firewatch. I've come back, and or just finding a, or just creating a villain who stole all this Gallifreyan technology, and mm. and the Doctor then have to working out where she got it from. The last time I got truly excited about the Master was the last five minutes of Utopia on yes. television, and then they went and screwed it up by completely rearranging the character. That's right. I mean, I don't think I could see Derek Jacobi doing. Sound of drums and last the time lords. Yeah, well, it would have killed him. All that running around for no good reason would have killed him. John Sim was stuck with portraying a character. I don't think he would have done it like that if he had the choice. Personally, I mean, I I, I got very angry just then. I mean, does it does the decision to make the master a female does it uh, does it make you upset uh, to my extent? I suppose I think it went a bit too far there. But I saw the signpost quite early on. It's like, well, look, it's either going to be the Rani or the Master. Mm. And for Stephen Moffat to make a statement about it, what other villain could he change the gender of quite easily? Well, the obvious choice is the Master. Um, but again, but what was the reason for that? What's I'd like to know. I'm one of those old-fashioned people. I'd like to know, understand why. You know, oh, I was dying, or did he take over into somebody else's body? I don't know. Mm. I mean, in a, in a story sense, I suppose it, it would be interesting to see... You know why the master elected to ha- to change into a female form, or as you say, did he steal someone else's body, a la Tremus? Yeah. But in terms in terms of production, I-, I think that Moffat got it into his head that I can do this, so I will do it hmm. without you know really thinking it through. I think. 
and back to the arc thing again. The whole thing about, oh, the woman from the shop. We now know it's Missy. But they then had to show clips from Series 7 to shoehorn the fact about this plot point. It didn't need yes. it. It didn't need it. A better storyteller wouldn't need to do that. I mean, I, and I know, look, Stephen Moffat, Moffat's signature uh, or calling card is, you know, uh, supposedly anyway, the sort of tricksy, twisty, turny storytelling that re- refers back, it refers forward, it refers sideways. Timey-wimey almost. Timey-wimey almost. But, um, you know, if the... Um, it uh, the boy who cried wolf cried wolf three times, and I think you, you sort of run out of um, you run out of credibility sometimes. I mean, I, I think a lot of people were particular. I mean, there was discussion about who Missy was, you know, from the start of the series. But you know, because Stephen Moffat is a known quantity, it didn't take people too long to work out which path he was going down. I suppose, and uh, and I don't think there there was that level of excitement as to who Missy really was. It was. Meh. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Oh, she's a woman. Excellent. Uh, the female master. Ra ra ra. I did get excited for a second because she said, Oh, you abandoned me. And I thought, Oh, my God. Don't tell me it's Romana. Come back all evil and twisted. Yes. But, but then again, you think, Well, again, who's going to remember Romana? And, and the public eye, the master is the most, well, the most well known Time Lord apart from the Doctor. So he's just going to use that, isn't he? I think Moffat missed a trick. I think that. John Sims was landed with a rubbish uh, was 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 basically forced to portray the master as a rubbish character. Mm. Moffat had the chance to bring the master back to something you know more suitable to how it was portrayed, perhaps a you know a Delgado uh, portrayal mm. type. But instead, um, he he chose a different path. I honestly th- think it was a mistake. It doesn't break the show. No, it doesn't break the show. Did it upset me? I wasn't crying into my pillow, but it felt really unnecessary and a little bit dismissive of the classic series and classic series fans to an extent. Mm. But other than that, what did you actually think of the episode, Mark? Unfortunately, I think those elements that you uh, you talked about before has clouded my judgment of it. Um, it's not as bad as The Twin Dilemma. I don't think anything can be as bad. Um, I think it is Moffat's version of The End of Time, though. Where, as you said, just throws a whole lot of stuff together and nothing really it really sticks. What about Cyber Danny when he when he turned up from from the dead? What about the plot? I mean, what about the plot itself? Love will overcome Cyberman conditioning. Uh, love will defeat the Cyberman in the sky. Love will bring the Brigadier back to protect his daughter. Love, love, love. It's just the perennial weakness of the show that it never doesn't seem to always be brave enough to follow through uh you know on where where a story begins and and leads to it just it, it's just a massive cop out this 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 last last couple of stories or especially death in heaven anyway was a massive cop out uh to an extent i mean you know uh, the, the actual finale where clara and the doctor lie to each other with great abandon mm. uh, was an interesting choice but um i think that given the richness of most of series eight, um, I thought that the you know death in heaven particularly uh, was 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 unforgivable in a sense. I suppose I'm being hyperbolic there, but I mean it it, it was uh, you you know you you're leading us to the promised land and then you're showing us McDonald's. It, it doesn't. It's it, it, none of it. None of what went before justified the ending that we were given there. 
And I, I, I think um, that, and that's why I say that you know, just just tell a good, exciting story. That's going to be sufficient to get people watching. You don't. I don't know why there's this belief that you have to sort of have a massive finale that a world uh, encompassing you know disaster every every bloody end of the episode end it, of just, the series. it just stretches credibility and yeah. it, 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 I, I, sometimes I think it hurts the series because I mean you, it's like a heroin addict heroin addict you've got to have a bigger and bigger hit to get the same you know response mm. so can I ask a question please so Missy's TARDIS was that St Paul's my understanding was that um She's moving to and from the uh, the nether sphere. The nether sphere is a sort of virtual reality, and that I mean the doctor does mention dimensional engineering, doesn't he? At one point, yeah. So I'm going to assume that perhaps that's the case. But where the master got uh, her TARDIS from uh, is yet to be seen. But I mean, you know, I suppose we don't have to have every every i dotted and every t crossed i mean we, we all we know is the master is back in a different form and um, she's probably traveling in some sort of tardis uh, that that dimensional bridge had been there for 200 years right well apparently it's been there for a very very long time why didn't the sidemen come out and give the ones from the invasion a, a hand in 1975 well yes stop asking pertinent <laughs> questions mark okay because it all it uh, no, i'm sorry not only does it unravel like a badly knitted jumper but you're just jumping on top of the ball of, 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 of wool. Were you okay with Dark Water? I was more okay with Dark Water than I was with Death in Heaven. In terms of Death in Heaven, was it the master gender switch? Was it the I Am Patriot? Or was it just the love conquers all thing? Or was it just a complete, in your eyes, a mess? I think I think the story... I mean, fundamentally, at the end of the day, the most important aspect of the show is does the story stand or fall? And I think in this mm. instance, the story uh, wasn't much chop at all. Um, I mean, mm. there was all this set up and then there's all this set up in the previous episode. And then we seem to spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes just standing around the graveyard looking up at the sky. Um, it, it, it seemed to uh, sag very badly in the middle towards the end and was only sort of elevated you know, at the end. Um, there was a bit of excitement on the plane where the doctor is inexplicably made president of the earth. Oh, you know yeah. what? No nation on earth would cede sovereignty to that extent. I mean, it, it's 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 uh, it's pulp storytelling at its very worst, I suppose. But we're not expecting we're not expecting realism. I understand that, but no no nation would allow that to happen. They'd start raining nukes on London before anything else. So, but maybe being president of the High Council of Gallifrey automatically makes you president of the Earth. Yes, I'm trying to retcon it as much as I can <laughs> in this, but um, it's not working. I mean, so I mean there were some on. there were some good elements there. I mean, I, I have whinged before about you know the use of uh, deep emotion, I suppose, in the show. But I mean, ha- having you know Danny have to deal with. I mean, if you're going to go down that path, well, you might as well do it right, I suppose. And and, and Danny coming face-to-face with the child that he accidentally killed was, you know, admittedly a pretty wrenching thing to, to have to put the character through. Mm. So, I mean, mm. and people have spoken about the darker tone in the series this year, and that and that exemplifies that to a T. I mean, it, it, uh, I mean no one in real life, uh, everyone in real life has to deal with their, with their guilt without actually being able to, given the chance to sort of, you know, make amends as to the extent that Danny was offered, but... Um, I thought that I thought that was interesting. I thought, um, what else did I think? I thought that killing Osgood off was a brave, if slightly unnecessary, move. I suppose it'll be a cop out though, because it'll be the Zygon Osgood, not the real one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. I, I'm sure they could probably do that. I reckon it'd be a cop out. She'll have a twin sister somewhere who'll just emerge fully 
flute. Say the Doctor had the Zygon counterpart, so it's probably the Zygon counterpart got yeah. killed, and they'll bring yeah. it back, or vice versa. Well, no, I agree, I agree. They'll probably do that at some point. Um, the Twelfth Doctor flying through the air uh, towards his TARDIS was... Um, Interesting. <laughs> Interesting choice. Look, it's exciting. It's thrilling for the kids, I suppose, yeah. And that's exactly right. You've got to remember, as Jay keeps saying, it's, ri- it's made for the eight-year-old. I just wish it was written for an intelligent eight-year-old. <laughs> well, the, 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 the Doctor is slightly superhuman, I suppose, so I suppose he can sort of launch himself through the air. Well, it didn't help him in Bloody Legopolis, did it? Well, what exactly. Why couldn't <laughs> you bring up a very good point? Stephen Moffat, watch Legopolis. Uh, now the other the other elephant in the room we I suppose we should address is as you've alluded to numerous times tonight <laughs> the Iron Patriot. Now I've gone. Okay. Uh, I went down a dark dark path uh, about five minutes ago, Mark. So now it's your turn to tell the world why you think that that was a magnificent, skillful move by Stephen Moffat. We received a letter about this because what happened was um, somebody tweeted a a tweet. As you do on Twitter. In fact, I should have prepared for this. Bear with me, Rob. I'm just going to bring this up so I can read this out completely. I'll just dun, play some whole music dun, in the background. Walk in the Black Forest. It was along the lines of uh, the Brigadier, wonderful character, wonderful actor, um, memory desecrated on Doctor Who. Now, I saw this in our Twitter feed and I retweeted it because that is how I felt at the time. As a response to that tweet, to the to the tweet, received a, an email from uh, Katrina in Canberra. So, Mark, I have Katrina's uh, response to your retweet about the desecration mm. of the Brigadier's character. Katrina writes, I couldn't disagree with you more. The Series 8 finale was shown in the UK on Memorial Weekend, the weekend before 11 November, and was a tribute to the fallen of World War One. Mrs. Pseudo-Cyberman went to every major city in town, Coincidentally, all of these have memorials to the fallen of World War One, where the Cybermen used the copied memories of the dead to raise a faceless army. And then the faceless army destroyed the clouds of war and gave us the life we have, just as we know from war memorials across the world. So why wouldn't Doctor Who's best-known military companion be there to represent the call to duty and family? It would have been an insult not to include the Brigadier. The show was about the aftermath of war and how those who died become a faceless mass if we let them. Regards, Katrina from Canberra. Well, I suppose... Uh, Katrina makes some points there, I suppose, that, um, I mean, it was broadcast in the shadow of Remembrance Day. Uh, did you see, uh, just on that point, did you see that really moving display at the Tower of London where all the poppies were planted in in and around the tower? No, I didn't, actually. That was... I mean, apparently it was one poppy for every fallen uh, in, um, you know, member of the British... Uh, f- served in the British forces in World War One, and that was... Well, it was a sea of blood, effectively. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, that was very moving. And if you sort of Google it, you'll anyone who actually hasn't seen it, I would advise to go have a look because uh, it is, a, it is a quite a moving sight. And um, uh, yes, but I mean, what did you think of Katrina's comment? My reaction to it is, I suppose, a little bit different. Um, I suppose because Nick Courtney was never invited back. To the series and and his death, which you know, like Elizabeth Slayton, does I suppose ha- touches a raw nerve. But I was just really upset to see how the character of the Brigadier was was treated in Death in Heaven, and he basically he turned, you know, he turned a soldier into the Cyberman's enemy. I would agree. I I mean, I suppose I can see where Moffat was coming from. 
Um, but you, you're right. The Brigadier has fought many an invader. So I would have thought that it was a pretty, pretty big insult for Moffat to turn around and turn him into an enemy. Hmm. Granted, one who overcome his conditioning. But, I mean, we, the character was depicted... As, I mean, Nick Courtney passed away. The Brigadier dies in the series. We saw that, 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 that there was an episode, uh, a Matt Smith episode, where he you know, sort of makes a call to the nursing home and he's told that the Brigadier has died. And there's a really effective, affecting moment there. And I had the portrait on the plane of the Brigadier. And, and that, would have, that was enough. That was enough. That was it? enough. But, but Moffat, he, he, he sows his seeds and, you know, he waits for them to bloom. And that was, I mean, that was obviously what he was doing there. I I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it cheapened the memory of the character. Because now, instead of the character dying a dignified death, he's now a Cyberman. <laughs> the Iron Patriot. Just, the Iron Patriot. Just just have a think about that. I mean, the, 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 the Brigadier fought the Cyberman. Mm. Now he's in the image of one of his enemies. Mm. Does that's you know does that not sh- strike anyone as being odd and a little bit insulting? Uh, I mean, again, the brigadier is just a character, and that's fair enough. But it doesn't sit well with me that they've gone down that path, and I sincerely hope that we don't have to deal with that again. I sincerely hope that we don't have that touched on again. I th- I think they should just let it lie. It should never have been done, and I think they should let it lie because it's it's just really unfortunate. Uh, Katie Manning, I think, wrote an article or contributed to an article in the Radio Times about death in heaven. And she said that Nick Courtney would have loved um, what they did with uh, with the Brigadier. Personally, I don't. Uh, Nicholas Courtney was a wonderful ambassador to the show. And, uh, you know, he's, he's like a beloved uncle. And it just feels that his memory has been slightly desecrated. And maybe I'm being too precious about it because as, as we're classic series fans and we take... Maybe we're a bit too we're a bit too close to it. We may well, look. We may be, but I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me. And 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 um, just the I mean, I wonder what as a classic series fan, I wonder what Capaldi thought about you know that aspect of the script. Uh, I mean, you know, an actor will do what he's asked to do, I suppose. But uh, well, he's not going to sort of throw the script the script down and storm offset, of course. But I wonder what he thought about the whole idea anyway. Doesn't make sense if the if the cyber brigadier has just been created or resurrected he'd be coming getting used to his you know new set of body parts and disorientated and everything like that the last thing he's going to do is fly up in the air and save his daughter how did he find it she was falling out of a out of a plane anyway love conquers all mark love conquers all what they could have resolved it was capaldi fly gets into the tardis materialize the tardis around her she gets knocked out don't need it yeah no. and and you know and danny could have killed Miss it at the end. And what was that Mary Poppins moment? Her floating... Mark, <laughs> once, again, once you've again, you've dragged up a memory that uh, I hope to suppress with all the other memories. Okay. Oh, but, um, but there's a... It, I hate to sort of dwell on, on, on the death topic, but there's a, there's a bit of a trend at the moment I've been noticing where uh, it was announced in, in the latest DWM that apparently an actor called Tim Trelaw is the third Doctor. Uh, no, he's not. It's John Pertwee, but Big Finish have decided to uh, recast another actor in the role of the Third Doctor. Now, the precedent hasn't been set here because Big Finish have been um, recasting other actors into the roles so far. They had Barbara, Ben, um, and David Troughton. Even uh, he he appeared with Tom Baker as a Second Doctor in one of the BBC audios. And of course, we had Richard Herndall 
appearing in The Five Doctors. So the recasting of other actors and roles is not a new thing. But I just at the moment, there seems to be a bit of a, a flurry around this particular activity. And, and even with, with Kate O'Mara's death, after a couple of weeks later, they announced they've got a new actress and Kate O'Mara would have been pleased about it. I mean, the last thing on a deathbed is probably, oh, I'm really glad they got somebody else to do my role. Mm. It's it's amazing how many people can speak for the dead these days. It, it's, it not, it's not just your charlatans and psychics out there who are bilking people out of their money because of uh, the, the the memory of their loved ones, but it's you know people who once worked with someone forty years ago suddenly speaking up and saying yes, yes, they would they would love you know someone to take over the role that they made their own. I, yeah. I mean, I think the whole thing about the the Pertwee being recast is purely a business decision. I've I've you know, before uh, mentioned that Big Finish's business model is predicated on everyone who started in the show living forever. Otherwise, it goes, you know, Big Finish goes down the toilet. And I can see that this is purely a business decision, uh, not an artistic one at all. I mean, you know, it just, uh, I don't care. I mean, I just don't care if they want to go. If they want to go down that road, you know, screw them stuff. Then I know when Gary Russell was, uh, you know, the, the producing at, at Big Finish, he swore black and blue that that thing would never happen, and he stuck by it. Uh, you know, Nick Briggs and Jason Hayley, I suppose, have gone down a different path. They're perfectly entitled to do it, but I mean, where does it stop? Does it, does everyone? I mean, when Tom Baker dies, when Colin Baker dies, when Peter Davison dies, do do we recast those people? I mean, where, where does it stop? <laughs> well, exactly. Once you start down the slippery slope, it, you don't slow down. You just get, you accelerate faster and faster and faster. And uh, you're only heading towards the mire, in my opinion. Look, we even talk about big finish now. God help us. <laughs> just let it all hang out, Mark. Just let it all hang out. The, the Companion Chronicles was, you know, you could see the Doctor through the Companion's eyes. You had Fraser Hines doing impressions, William Russell doing impressions, and this, this Tim Trelaw doing the impression of a third Doctor in The Light of the End. But I just think for... The DWM headline to say, you know, Trim Trelaw is the third Doctor. Um, no, he's not. Mr. Trelaw is pastiching the Doctor. Trim Trelaw is, is the faintest echo of Pertwee's magisterial performance. Uh, I don't care. I, honestly, I, I don't care. I know you don't care, but I just think what's happened with the Iron Patriot and all this <laughs> this thing, these activities happening from Big Finish is all sort of convoluted. You know, it's kind it's of all coalesced together. into one it's awful one uh, big, awful, of madness. Just horrible thing. But, you know, this is going to sound terrible, but who's next? They're going to start recasting Harry Sullivan. And... No, it'll be Tom Baker. They'll have lined someone up to do... Who, who does the Tom Baker impressions? Who's the, who, uh, what's his name? John Colshaw. I would not doubt for a second that he's been tapped on the shoulder. He's done it already. I know, I know he's done it already. But yeah. you just, yeah. uh, John, just, you know, as soon as uh, Tom is barely uh, warm, you've got the gig, son. You'll be straight into the recording booth. The Further Adventures of the Fourth Doctor, starring John Colshaw. <laughs> you heard it here first, people, okay? God What about my it. impression? Ah, me and my throbber. <laughs> I thought that's what Lala Ward said. Moving on. Anyway, so we don't want to, look, let's, let's just move on from the... Let's, from well, let's the, move away from the sad things in life. The Book of the Dead. The Book but, of the Dead, yes. There should have been a, more of an uproar with the Brigadier, and I think, as you said, because uh, he didn't appear in the new series as such the the uproar was muted mm. um you know it was just restricted to the to us old fogies uh mm. you know but um anyway enough of what we think about yes. it let's go to your letters you 
got mail. All right, so moving away from our opinions of uh, Series 8, uh, as we said before, we've uh, received an absolute uh, sackload of uh, missives from around the globe. Uh, Mark, uh, you go with the first one. Okay, we've got uh, Tristan here from uh, Brisbane. Brisbane, the site of the G20 meeting a couple of weeks ago. Dear 42ers, for the most part, I've enjoyed Series 8 more than anything since Series 3, and I think Capaldi's doing a great job. Not the best doctor ever, but he works for me as a doctor more than Matt Smith or David Tennant did. Mostly I found the season a lot of good, fun, entertaining episodes. Perfect Sunday evening viewing. I love Robot Sherwood and Listen, Kill the Moon was nonsense but fun nonsense. Sadly though, I've been disappointed by a couple of things. Firstly, I'm used to the Moffat cheer squad calling me a bad fan when I dislike a Moffat episode. That's okay, they're passionate about what they like and I get that. But this month I had fans, including well-known big-name fans, actually telling me that I was a bad person because I didn't jump on board with the idea of the Master being a woman. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I don't see the point in changing an established male character into a female one for no reason. And worse, he turned into the same snarky, dominant woman Moffat character that we've seen time and time again from Moffat, arguably all the way back to Linda Day in Pest Gang. I don't mind if people disagree with my views, but I think the tone of this debate has been very, very nasty. Secondly, I thought the season finale was awful, as bad a Who episode as I've seen, and the worst aspect was the Cyber Brigadier. The Brigadier is not just a fictional character that was killed off, but a character that died when the actor played him died. I compare this to the respect paid on the West Wing to John Spencer's character when he died, and since the Brig has never appeared in New Who, I doubt many casual fans would have got the point, and those who got the point were, as older fans, most likely to be offended but why do it? And this was on top of a plot that made no sense, with magic rain creating cyber suits out of thin air from bodies that would have been totally decomposed, and yet another love conquers all ending. A shame such a fun series had such a bad ending. Regards, Tristan from Brisbane. I I think this series, like Tristan says, um, was best continuous run of episodes that we've had for a long, long time. A long time, yeah. I mean, only the the last couple of episodes uh, that started with, uh, was it Utopia? And uh, was it Blink before? I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah. There was a really good run at that point in series... Three, Human Nature, Family of Blood. Blood. Yeah, and uh, Utopia, I think it was, wasn't it? Mm. But I, I think that uh, I mean, uh, after the flaccid misfire that was uh, Deep Breath, and the so-so shenanigans of Into the Dalek, I think from that point on up until um, up until let me look at my list here, up until uh, uh, Flatline, I think we had you know six or seven weeks of really top quality stories. And uh, I mean, yeah. I was—I mean, I used to be that I would wait until the evening to uh, to watch the show. But I was actually getting up at six in the morning on a Sunday morning here, and watching the simulcast uh, on the ABC, um, which I never did before, never. So I was excited to see what was coming next, uh, and then horrified with Dark Water and Death in Heaven. But um, uh, yeah, Tristan's right that um, the show had a really good run, and it was a lot of just a lot of fun uh, for the most part throughout the uh, throughout the, the the twelve episodes. Mm. But uh, I mean, his point, um, his point about Moffat writing uh, snarky dominant women. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a snarky dominant win- woman, but if that's all he can write, uh, I-, I wonder um, where he is with his depiction of women I- I- in the show, um, or have I gone too far there? 
That's funny because he wrote uh, Sally Sparrow and she was quite a nice character. Can't remember what Linda Day was like in Press Gang. I was a show for ages. Linda Day was a teenage ball breaker, but you know, a very amusing and very fun, very fun. That's actually a good show, though. That was a that was a fantastic show. I mean, yeah, uh, for for a first up uh, writer to mm. a write all the scripts and b you know craft a, a fantastic show. I mean, I would urge anyone out there who's you know a big Moffat fan but hasn't seen his early stuff. Go go, go and, and get your hands on some DVDs for for Press Gang because um, if you get past the first series, which is the kids are a little bit young, uh, once they age up nicely, um, it's a really good show. It's really fun mm. and inventive and moving, and uh, there's a great uh, sort of romantic element at the heart of it, which suits mm. a show like that. It doesn't necessarily suit Doctor Who, but it suits a show like Press Gang. We've got this reputation of being Moffat haters. I don't think. We are Moffat haters. We just don't like his arcs. I don't think that he's suited to Doctor Who as a showrunner. I think as a, as a someone who comes in once a year, uh, like he did when the show came back, he's perfectly suited because he has to just concentrate on the story that he's contracted to write, not tasked with shaping the the, the series, writing episodes himself, writing the first episode, writing the finales, take you know rewriting everyone else's stories. Looking over the tone of the show, being here, there, and everywhere in terms of, you know, uh, marketing and on the production and, and and getting out there amongst the populace and, and you know extolling the virtues of the show, I think that just sort of saps his um, his creative energy after a while. And it, it's, I mean, he can he can do it. You, you saw Listen completely standalone, fantastic. One of his best scripts. One of his best episodes, a great episode of you know new series Doctor Who, but I, I think that he's just got too much, too many pots on the stove on the boil, and um, I think it's to his detriment. If he was outside the series and he was writing his own, you know, Chalk, Coupling, Press Gang, Jekyll, Sherlock to an extent. I mean, he he is a, he's a very very good writer, and there's a reason why you know once you leave the show, he'll be in hot demand you know here i mean in london i'm oh, sorry in the uk or in the in the us but i think he's spread too thin currently we, we just said that we've enjoyed series eight for the most part so he must be doing a good job along the lines of plotting out the season um you know into and, and, and selecting the stories that that we've seen because for the most part we've enjoyed it and no you're right and uh, i mean i i think I myself place too much emphasis sometimes on the negative aspects of you know the things that I think don't work. Mm. So I, I you know I, I can go on for too long I suppose about the negative impact his arcs have on the series and the series finales. Uh, and I suppose you know my my rant before about turning the master into a female was probably a little bit over the top. But um, you know I mean I suppose uh, he would say any reaction is a good reaction. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, and again, the series, eight, just for those people who think that I don't like the new series, series eight has been really good. I've, I've enjoyed it for the most part, for eight tenths, eight tenths, eight twelfths of it. Um, and hopefully the, um, hopefully the Christmas special um, is in a similar vein as well. But mm. it's just, I just think that sometimes the show can, it, it misses the mark and it, it misses the mark needlessly sometimes. It, 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 it makes the wrong choice. It, it tries to change the shape of the show and force it into a shape that it's, I think it's completely unsuited. 
two. Have we got another letter there, Rob? Yes, I think uh, we well we do certainly have another letter here, Mark. Uh, this one is from Captain Hawkins, who I believe has written to us before. Uh, Captain Hawkins writes, Dear 42 to Doomsday, I'd lost my way with New Who across the Matt Smith era. Liked him, just not the stories. So I was excited by the idea of Peter Capaldi as the Doctor and was looking forward to Series 8. For the most part, it delivered after an early stutter. Deep Breath was really too long and the point of it seemed to be to hammer home the idea that it was okay to like the new Doctor even though, gasp, he's old, with grey hair and has a lion face. It didn't help that I'm sick of the Paternoster gang, although I have heard a very cool theory about them actually being a trio of sex fiends. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Vastra as the dominant one, Jenny as her sex slave, and Strax as their procurer. (laughs) Excuse me while I compose myself. Which actually makes watching them more bearable and adds a sinister tone to the stupid scene where Strax is giving Clara her checkup. And doesn't Vastra and Jenny's relationship technically count as bestiality? Uh, anyway, let's move in. Anywho. Anywho, Into the Dark didn't do a lot for me, but from there it was generally a great run of episodes, really the best for a long time, and I was almost a Moffat believer again. Then we got to the final two-parter. I'm a long-term classic series fan, so the updating of The Master and Brigadier didn't sit well with me, and pretty much every other classic series fan I've spoken to. Although I see that the newer fans generally seem to be okay with it, and like the sicker fans they are, have wasted little time telling everyone we should all be on board with the changes and how wonderful their Lord and Master Moffat truly is. And why can't everyone see that? I'm left with two interconnected theories. One, Moffat hates classic series fans, or at least the ones who are vocal about the old series being better. Why else would he mess with two characters with such a long history, one of whom has never been seen in the rebooted series other than to stick two fingers up at the classic fans who he must know will complain about Missy and Cyber Lethbridge Stewart. Two, the classic series is really a millstone around Moffat's and the production team's neck. It gave the rebooted show the ready-made audience it needed. It has a lot of material to draw on and it's great to be able to say Doctor Who's in its 51st year. And we know BBC Worldwide and the merchandisers love the old series fans as they're generally the ones with disposable income to spend. But the original series is also cheap and at times embarrassing and very dated. Comes with a heap of baggage and a diminishing number of noticeably aging former stars. Plus a coterie of older fanboy obsessives who whine about the good old days. Is that us? Uh, It could be us. It could be uh, Captain Hawkins as well. (laughs) Captain Hawkins closes out by saying, Interested to hear your thoughts. Has Moffat gone too far? Has he reached his use-by date? Are Philip Hinchcliffe and Terence Dix too old to come back? Cheers, Captain Hawkins. As I said before, uh, uh, Doctor Who fans, on the most part, haven't been happy with the producers since 1977. So, <laughs> um, uh, some con- some controversial thoughts there, especially about the uh, the cool theory that uh, Captain Hawkins has. A-, a bit of comedy relief there, I think, folks. Does make sense, though. Uh, <laughs> very much. Yes, very much. Very much in a serious tone. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, Captain Hawkins makes a point there that, uh, I mean, it is a lot of classic series fans who are exercised most of all uh, about the changes that Moffat introduced to in the last two episodes. Mm. Um, you know, I suppose classic series, series fans know what they like, you know, don't necessarily like change or don't necessarily like unnecessary change. And mm. I, I think that these two things were, you know, grievously unnecessary. 
but you know we could go over all ground again and again we've covered it we've uh, we've plowed that field several times and now we're ready to plant so exactly right We've actually got a late-breaking email come in from uh, Kieran Hyman. He's written in and says, Well, I'm not a fan of romantic relationships in Doctor Who, which is why I like that Danny and Clara's was sort of in the background and the focus was the effect it had on the Doctor and Clara's relationship. I know that some people didn't like the dark tones, especially in the finale, but I do enjoy that sort of thing. It's probably time for Clara to leave, though. I take it that she will leave at Christmas. Love the new Doctor. Peter Capaldi is one of the greats. Kieran Hyman. Given that Capaldi's been in the role just one year, hmm. is he uh, has he made his mark? Yes, he has. Uh, as much as I, uh, I love Matt Smith and his Doctor, um, I think I've said it before, I was ready for a complete change in terms of... I mean, Smith and Tennant to me are very similar. Um, I was ready for a complete change, and I've got that with, with Capaldi's interpretation. And that's not to take anything away from Smith or Eccleston or Tennant, because... I can watch an episode of them quite happily, but at the moment I'm really, uh, I'm particularly enjoying Capaldi and also his interactions with with Jenna Coleman. I think they work beautifully together. I think you're right. I think of, I mean, if we were just to look at it uh, through a new series lens, I think it's uh, Capaldi in pole position uh, and then the rest following behind. I think that uh, I think he's lived up to no he's lived up to my expectations and hopes that he would bring a new tone to the portrayal of the Doctor, and I really enjoy the spikiness, the sarcasm, the, the you know the biting wit, the the, the callousness even. Um, mm. I think that they are all valid uh, you know depictions or aspects of the character, and I think it adds a lot to the to the series. Now I know I said before that. Uh, the scripts have not necessarily shifted as much as I'd liked, but he is such a strong actor that he's able to take the material that he's given and shape it uh, to suit uh, to suit him. I don't think that uh, I mean I can see Matt Smith delivering you know much much of the same lines, but you know obviously a different actor brings a different different tone to it, and uh, and and Capaldi's tone. I mean I mean distinctively from the off. He was, you know, a completely different character. Uh, and even though I have problems with Deep Breath, he, even in his befuddled state, easily made a, a great impression on me. And I know uh, we've got a couple of friends who uh, took a while to warm to him, but I, I embraced uh, Capaldi from, from the very beginning. And, uh, and uh, in, in, as far as his, the, the relationship with, um, with Clara or General Louise Coleman, if the show hadn't gone down this route of setting her up in a relationship and then killing off her, her, her lover... I would say that, you know, bring Clara back for another year. But it's hard to see how the character mm. could stand to travel again for uh, another season with the Doctor, given what, what happened to Danny. Now, I fully expect uh, Danny to come back at Christmas time or for there to be another appearance by, you know, by Danny Pink. Because I think, you know, uh, Moffat in the end wants to give his creations a happy ending. And I mean, you saw that with Matt Smith, uh, the, the Matt Smith uh, Doctor with the regeneration. Uh, it, it was it gave him a very good farewell. And I mean, you you can see Moffat's 
uh, Moffat's emotion and Matt Smith's emotion in the, in some of that behind the scenes footage when he sort of filmed his last scene and there was you know they were both clearly upset. I think I think Moffat wants to give Clara a, a, a decent send off and I think we'll see that maybe in the Christmas special. But I mean, if they hadn't gone down that path, I would really love to see her again for another for another year to to to, to have some you know really good adventures with the twelfth slash thirteenth Doctor. Peter Capaldi continues the fine tradition of uh, making any old bollocks watchable, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he does. I mean, Colin Baker makes Twin Dilemma worthwhile, and uh, and Capaldi makes even the weakest episodes in this series uh, worthwhile. So, going back to your Twin Dilemma statement, Rob, is Death in Heaven as bad as Twin Dilemma in your eyes? As bad or worse? I would happily. I would, look. I would only watch Death in Heaven again the way you would watch. Uh, you would drive past a car accident. You're only watching it out of ghoulish interest to see whether there's any, you know, what's spilling out of the out of the car wreck. I would watch Twin Dilemma again to be entertained. Yes, it's awful. Well, I mean, it's it's not very good. Yes, it doesn't stand up, you know, to being in the shadow of Caves of Androzani. But I, I mean, again, Doctor Who is more for entertainment value for me than anything else. And I would find myself far more entertained with by Twin Dilemma, Twin Dilemma than I would by Death in Heaven. So, does it displace Twin Dilemma at the bottom of the pile? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I stand by I, my I, views. I won't go to that extreme, uh, but to me, Death in Heaven is very similar to End of Time. For me, uh, a big mess, and I haven't watched it since. And it will take me a long time, I think, to go back and watch this. I, I would watch Death in Heaven again just to see uh, the, the the farewell scene between Coleman and Capaldi. Yeah, that was great. That was lovely. And that, I mean, that felt uh, real in a way. That felt like, you know, two people lying to protect not only mm. uh, themselves, but each other. And he's not strangling her like, you know, the Doctor wasn't Twin Dilemma. I mean, the acting's better in Death in Heaven. That's oh, I know. look, I know, Mark, I know. But again, my my yardstick, because um, hopelessly mainstream, is entertainment. Am mm. I entertained? I mean, I'm entertained mm. by Kays of Androzani, which, which is why I think it's great. I'm entertained mm. by Twin Dilemma, which is why I'd more than happily go and watch that again before I watch uh, Death in Heaven. Crucify me if you want out there, uh, listenership, but... Um, uh, that's just that's the way it is, and I'm I have an opinion which I'm f- fully entitled to. And send all your feedback to forty two to doomsday gmail dot com, our Facebook page, and our Twitter feed. Let's leave on a lighter note, shall we? Let's leave on a lighter note, Mark. Yes, we've got one last letter, and it's nothing to do with series eight or death in heaven and everything. Like this. this is a, a from an American listener called Kyle Sessions. It says hi, guys. I'm a pretty new listener to your show, and I thought I'd drop you a line to say hello. I'm an American born in the 80s and I grew up without Doctor Who in my life other than catching the occasional episode I'm not sure I even saw a full serial on late night PBS. As an adult I didn't even start watching the Bond series until until sometime in 2013 when I started with Eccleston and watched up to the current stuff. I came across a link to your podcast on Twitter and started listening. Well Twitter is working. Uh, I'm working my way uh, through your show's back catalogue and I'm also listening to your latest episodes when they're released and I very much appreciate hearing your points of view and learning about the history of the show. I've actually uh, embarked on a project where I intend to watch every episode of the show ever 
with the obvious exception of the missing ones, which I'll either listen to or watch reconstructions. Listen to them. I would not watch the reconstructions if I were no, you. No, it's, uh, it's like experiencing the Spanish Inquisition, uh, watching the reconstructions. I would hardly uh, support Mark's comment there. Listen to him. It's a fate worse than a fate worse than death. I'm blogging reviews at doctor-who-review.tumblr.com and at reviewdoctorwho.wordpress.com and it's very slow going. The blog I mean, not the show. I very much enjoy watching the old serials as I'm only up to the second season. As such, I very much appreciated your last podcast all about the Hartnell era. It definitely gave me some moments to look forward to as I watch his second and third seasons. At this point, Hartnell is a classic Doctor that I'm most familiar with. I've seen some other stuff from other Doctors, but Hartnell is the one I've enjoyed the most of all. So far, because he's just the first. And I have to say, he's great. I really enjoy seeing the original productions of the show and how much it has changed to the modern era. Hartnell really laid the groundwork for everyone to follow. And I firmly believe that if he had not been as good an actor as he was, the show would have ended when he left. As it says at one point in last year's docudrama, you can't have Doctor Who without the Doctor. Hartnell breathed enough life into the role that it became bigger than just the actor and allowed the character to grow beyond a single actor's portrayal. I've been working my way through your archives and listening to Blue Doomsday episode where you talk about, amongst other things, loose threads, untied plot points, etc. You were talking about how it wasn't revealed who gave Clara the phone number in Bells of St. John. Well, I guess we know now. In any case, I mainly just wanted to say hi and thank you for the podcast. Keep up the great work. Best regards, Kyle Sessions. Blue Doomsday? That, that seems like a while ago. we just done... Blue Doomsday Part 2. We did. Uh, I'm surprised. How many episodes have we... I don't keep track of these things. Is it like 26 or is this the 27th? This would be our 27th. Thank you very much, Kyle, for the kind words. It's it's really appreciated. Uh, We really appreciate you writing to us and taking the time to do so. And uh, it's... um, We don't often get uh, as much correspondence as we have uh, just prior to this episode. So it's it's lovely to hear from, you know, the people who have uh, decided to listen to us and stick by us. Uh, mm. I know there's, we, we all know that there's a lot of podcasts out there offering a different, a variety of views. And, you know, you can, uh, you know, uh, people can jump from one podcast to another. So it's, it's, it's lovely to have picked up a new listener. Um, and hopefully you stick around for the journey uh, that we, we take into podcasting and Doctor Who. Um, and, and what do you think about some of his thoughts there, Mark? I mean, he's, he's embarked on the great journey of life uh, watching uh, as much of Doctor Who as he can in order. A very brave man. I was actually going to do that as well uh, as soon as I were handed all back. <laughs> well, we know that's not going to happen in a hurry. That's cuckoo, so, Mark. Cuckoo. Cuckoo, exactly. Um, one day I might go back. Yes, one day. But not the moment, though. <laughs> we'll, we'll put a link up to, uh, to his uh, blog on our show notes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the un, uh, the untied up plot points, well, I think we discussed that in terms of uh, Series 8 and how they had to shoehorn flashback clips a la Earthshock style to explain a plot point. Yes. I mean, you know, back in the day, we would we, we thrilled to that sort of thing during the J&T era. Where, I mean, in Earthshock, I mean, in Earthshock I, I, one of the most memorable bits about Earthshock, other than Adric getting exploded, was... Um, seeing the clips in the Cyberman's little viewing thing. And, mm. ooh, ooh, Doctor Who from a long, long time ago. I mean, I, you know, uh, eventually too much of that became poison. But uh, at the time, uh, that was quite entertaining. So I can, I can, and I would imagine that, uh, you know, like as at the end of Deep Breath and the clip from The Bells of St. John, a lot of new series fans, especially Matt Smith fans, 
uh, were probably pining, pining moved. I, I know that the people were crying apparently at the towards the end of Deep Breath, which is you know that's valid. That's that's cool. I'm hip to your you know beat, youngsters out there. It happened to me in the cinema when I went and saw Deep Breath. That, that happens at the drop of a hat. You say Matt Smith and, and teenage girls of a certain age start crying, don't they? Yeah, these girls at the cinema did anyway. Yes, well there you go. Now, mm. before we go, Mark, is there a competition? Yes, we've actually got two DVD sets of Series 8. The whole thing. The whole thing? The whole shebang to give away. So you've got all the 12 episodes, including our favourites, uh, Deep Water and Death in Heaven. Uh, it's got a whole host of documentaries, including, I think it's The Ultimate Time Lord, starring a friend of the show, Rob Lloyd. Ooh. So um, you can see him on a non-pirated edition, which is great. So to win one of these two fantastic sets... We're asking you to write in and say why Rob is completely wrong about his review of Death in Heaven. Now, this competition is open to uh, worldwide participation, except for J.R. Southall. (laughs) And you have to be able to play a Region 4 set of discs. So if you can get your entries into us by midnight on the 13th of December, uh, Eastern Standard Time in Australia, uh, usual world clocks people to work that one out, um... We will announce the winner in our next podcast, recorded after that date. Okay, so we promised ourselves at the beginning of this podcast, we'd only talk for an hour. We've gone way over that, so I think we might uh, get out of here. So uh, thank you once again for downloading and listening to the show. We hope our uh, views have not put you off. Uh, For the main part, I've enjoyed Series 8. And so have I. I've been the Iron Patriot. And I've been the Iron Patriot's jockstrap. See you later. Bye. You have been listening to another instalment of 42 to Doomsday, the Doctor Who podcast hosted by Mark and Rob. If you'd like to contact us, please do so via our Twitter account at 42 to Doomsday, email us at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com, and find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. And until we meet again, may your Doctor Who be good Doctor Who.